0: No, what? Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to be with you. We are uh, some of you have been asking, we are not yet in our house, so just continue praying for us, but we're doing fine. We're staying with my grandma. And uh, if, if my grandma you can ask her, she enjoys having us there, and we enjoy being with my grandma. It's been a really great a really sweet time to spend with her in this season, and my grandma has always lived. You know, two or three hours away from me, and so uh, to have her be here in the same town is a uh, is a real blessing, a real treat. So, um, we're still working on our house; we're having some some stuff done to it, and um, but but we're we're loving the whole we're loving it the whole way, and we're just uh, we're just glad to be here in town. My wife is is feeling the pregnancy. She we're doing February; she's doing February for a baby. So, continue to lift her up in prayers, because. Um, He's getting uncomfortable at night, right, babe? (laughs) Goodness. You ladies, I admire you. Guys, we have it easy, don't we? Man, We have it easy. Well, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. What are we doing in Lamentations for a Christmas message? Well, I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, this morning I want to talk to you about hope, and I forgot to say hello to everybody watching online. We got, uh, we got people watching on our live stream, we got a new camera set up in the back, and so hello everybody watching online. We're so glad that you're joining us. Hopefully you're turning with us in your Bibles as well. And this morning I want to talk uh, to our church about hope, and, it, and really it's the hope that Jesus brings to us as believers, as followers of Christ, that we have an advantage in this world. We have something that the rest of the world doesn't have, and that is a hope, something to look forward to, not only in the next life, right? We're not only looking forward to heaven, but how many of you know that Jesus didn't die and he wasn't raised again just to get you into heaven? He died so that he could get heaven into you. And that's what we can look forward to is the, is the experience of heaven, is the hope of heaven right here, right now on the earth in our community and people among us. And so we're going to talk about the hope that Jesus brings. One of my favorite Christmas songs uh, to sing in this season is the song, O Holy Night. How many of you love that song? How many of you love Christmas music? And uh, there's a phrase. I want to talk about a couple phrases that we see in this song. Uh, and it's one of the phrases that we see in the song, O Holy Night, is the phrase, a thrill of hope. We have a thrill of hope. And this song has a really rich history to it. I don't know if you know the history of O Holy Night. Maybe some of you do. But it was written in the mid-1800s by a merchant poet guy. His name was Placide Capot. And I'm, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, but there was a priest uh, who approached this merchant. This priest wanted a poem written of Luke chapter 2. And he, a priest, he, he approached Placide Capot And knew that he was a great poet, but Placid Capote was not a believer. In fact, he had a reputation of being somewhat of a scoundrel, somebody that you did not want to associate with. And so this priest approached him knowing that he was a good poet and asked him to make a poem of Luke chapter 2. And O Holy Night was written... Uh, and later, it was put to music, and the church would sing it. But the church, eventually, they, they tried to stop singing it at church uh, because when they found out who had written the song, they didn't want to sing it in church anymore. But you couldn't stop the move of God. It was already on the way. How many of you know that God, God uses everybody, right? And so uh, about five, de- five decades later, in 1906, there was a 33-year-old Canadian professor named, Re- named Reginald Fessenden And Reginald Fessenden on Christmas Eve 1906 did the impossible. He made a makeshift generator in his garage and he plugged in a microphone and he broadcast the first AM uh, broadcast in the history of the world on Christmas Eve 1906. He plugged in this microphone and he picked up his Bible and the first thing to ever hit the AM airwaves was Luke chapter 2 starting with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and he continued on reading the Christmas story on Christmas Eve 1906. Then he put his Bible down, and he picked up his violin, and he began to play the song, O Holy Night, the very first song to ever be played on the radio in 1906, Christmas Eve. It's got a very rich history. That's why one of the reasons why I love this song so much. And um I want to talk about a few of the phrases we see in this song. One of the phrases that we see is, Oh, holy night, the night that Christ was born. We have a cute perspective of this night, don't we? We have this, this picture of the manger scene in our head. And my grandma, she's got this cute inflatable nativity scene on her front lawn. And everybody's chubby and smiling, right? They're Having a good time. And my wife and I, we have a porcelain set, a nativity set at home. How many of you have a, how many of you have a nativity set at home? And everybody, the angel is above everybody. And, you know, I always struggle when I set this up because I want it to look as accurate as possible. So I know where Mary and Joseph go. They go right next to the baby, right? But were the shepherds closest after that? Were the wise men up close? You know, how did this look that night? The wise men probably weren't there until a couple years later, what a lot of scholars think. And and I'm just always just trying to geek out over this nativity scene. But we have this cute perspective, right? But imagine a 16-year-old, nine-month pregnant girl Riding a donkey 80 to 120 miles to Bethlehem. I took my pregnant wife when we were having Zoe. I took her in a Toyota Echo, and that was bad enough. <laughs> Imagine having a pregnant 16-year-old girl on a donkey for over 100 miles. That would have been a nightmare. But there was no, there was no room when they show up in Bethlehem. There's no room. And so they, they went and they stayed in what, have, what would have looked like a, a, a cave, a dark cave filled with animals and and cow poop and every it was the worst conditions to have a baby. I can imagine Mary as a mom thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm about to have the savior of the world right next to a pile of cow poop." <laughs> what is happening? What is going on? So imagine a 16-year-old sc- girl screaming in a filthy cave. And, and there's no epidural at this time, so there probably wasn't an angel midwife trying to calm the situation, right? Like stroking her hair and making her feel better. I remember when Christina had Zoe. I'm talking about you a lot, and, and I've, I've asked her permission in the past to tell the story, and she gave me permission. But I remember when we had Zoe, uh, it was a bit of a nightmare. The epidural had failed and, uh, and she was in a lot of pain and she's screaming and it was just a nightmare of a delivery. And she looks at me at some, at some point in the delivery and says, I imagine this is what an exorcism would look like. <laughs> and, and those were her words, not mine. Uh, because if you were to ask me, she was glowing. She was an angel. She looked beautiful, little sweaty bead drops coming down her beautiful angel face. And, uh, and, and you know what? But The Lord was good. We, we had Zoe. It was good. But, but this is the chaos that's happening in the cave that night. It's not, this, it's not this quiet, picture-perfect scene. It is the worst of conditions to have a baby, the worst of times to have a baby. Another uh, phrase that we see in this song, O Holy Night, is a thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I think one word that captures, maybe I should speak for myself, one word that captures my feelings for this last year is the word weary. I think a lot of people would identify with that. I think we, I think there's a lot of weary people in our world and in, in this town and in, in our nation. Just this, this has been a very difficult year. There's marriages that are failing. There's jobs that are being lost. There's people that are getting sick. It's a very weary world right now. We are weary, and perhaps you're here this morning or you're watching online, and you're weary. You're tired. Maybe you have slipped into a bit of darkness, and you're, you're at home depressed, and I want to speak to you this morning and talk about the hope that Jesus brings because he's with you right now. He's with us. He came into the world to be with us. And I, I kind of think it's funny when people talk about uh, how the world, you know, they, they, everybody is so looking forward to Jesus returning. And I, I, believe me, I am looking forward to my King Jesus coming back for me. Uh, and, but people talk so much about how this is the, Jesus has to come back anytime because this is the worst our world has ever gotten. And I'm here to tell you, it's been worse it has been worse. In fact, let me talk about just three things, real quick. Real quick, that was happening in the time that Jesus was born, so that you can maybe try to identify with the people at the time and how they felt when they when they heard that their new king had been born into the world. Uh, prior to the birth of Jesus, God had been silent for four hundred years. He had been silent for four hundred years. The Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, and the and the book of Malachi ends with this. Uh, very pregnant statement, this promise that God would send Elijah the prophet as a forerunner for the Messiah, and that would be fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. But uh, but since that last statement in Malachi, uh, till the birth of Jesus, God had been silent for 400 years. I can imagine people, I can imagine uh, the people at the time talking about, man, where is this God that our parents told us about? Our parents tell us all the time about how God delivered our people from Egypt and he delivered us. He brought us to the promised land, but, but we're under Roman rule now and, and, and we haven't seen a prophet or heard a word from the Lord for 400 years. Does God even care for us anymore? Is he even here? Does he even know we exist? Does he identify with my, my hurt, with my struggle, with my pain? Does God know that I'm here? Another thing that was happening in that time, I just mentioned it a little bit, is that the people of God were under a very oppressive Roman rule. And Luke chapter two starts off with a blatant reminder that the people of God were owned by another. And Luke chapter two starts with a a, a talk about a census that was happening. And it's this reminder that the people of God were owned by another. They were controlled by another. And how inconvenient it would have been to force a nine-month pregnant Girl to travel over a hundred miles to a, a different town for this census. They were under Roman oppression, they were under Roman rule. They, were, uh, they didn't have the freedom that they wanted to, to live and to worship the way that they wanted to. I think oftentimes, I've felt this before, that our freedoms are being oppressed in this season, that, we are, that we're being forced to do things that we don't want to do. And I identify with that. I can identify with people that feel that way. But all throughout history, God's people have been far worse. They've been oppressed far worse. Another thing that has happened uh, uh, shortly after uh, King Herod heard of the birth of Jesus is what you know what happened. He ordered the execution of all the babies in and around Bethlehem that were two years of age and under. Imagine the darkness living in a time where your children are taken away from you and they're killed because the king is threatened by them. Imagine the anguish, the heartbreak that they're feeling in this moment, the darkness that the world is feeling in this moment. I can imagine the people of God thinking, God, where are you? What are you doing? What is happening? Do you not see everything that's happening? Do you not see the pain that I'm in? Do you not see what the king is doing? Do you not see what the Romans are doing? God, where are you? You haven't spoken in over 400 years. I can picture the shepherds laying in the field with their sheep that night. And they're looking up at the sky and they're wondering how they're going to keep their house and how they're going to keep their jobs because they can't pay taxes to Rome. And they're thinking, man, they're just talking with one another. You remember those stories our parents would tell us? Yeah, that's a bunch of... Pokey-pokey. That's nothing, right? You're like, God's not real? Let's, we got we to move on from this promise, right? That God hasn't shown up before. and And suddenly, in the middle of the night, as they're having the, this conversation, a heavenly host of angels appear before their faces and they say, "Hey guys, Jesus has come. The one you've been waiting for is here. The Messiah is here. God is speaking now. He has given you an answer because He loves for you. You can go see Him if you want to." Follow the star. Follow the star to Bethlehem. He's there. Go visit him. Go say hi to your new Savior. I can imagine the joy that they were feeling. Can you picture this? This this joy that would fill them, this thrill of hope that would fill them that the darkness is now over and now the sun is rising on a new world because Jesus is here. There's no longer any reason to despair, to continue to live in, in darkness because we have hope. Jesus has come. Our Messiah, our Savior has come and everything is different because a day with Jesus can change everything. After the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, uh, Israel is distraught and I'm I'm I'm, I'm talking about Lamentations chapter 3, hopefully you're in your Bible with me. Uh, Israel is distraught and Jeremiah is the one who's writing this chapter. He's lamenting, he's pouring out his heart to God because of the fall of Jerusalem. And his heart is filled with grief. But we see what we're going to read in this chapter, uh, starting with verse 20, is this shift in Jeremiah's perspective. He goes from despair uh, to hope. And he he moves from despair to a position of faith, to a position of hope. And so this is what he says, starting in verse 20. He says, I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. See, he doesn't ignore the pain. He doesn't ignore what's happening to him. He acknowledges it, but then he brings to the forefront of his mind the promises of God. He brings forth to the the forefront of his mind the goodness of God. He says this, verse 22, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I want to talk about three truths that I pray would fill you with a thrill of hope this morning. Three things that that the Lord put on my heart that we see here in Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I'm a, I'm a big believer in note taking. I like I like to take notes. I don't know about some of you. Some of you maybe you don't like to take notes. You just like to sit and enjoy. That's fine too. But a new day with Christ, number one, brings you exactly what you need. Notice I didn't say exactly what you want. A new day with Christ brings us exactly what we need. Uh, verse 24 said, "I say to myself, the Lord is my portion." Therefore, I will wait for him. What does it mean that the Lord is my portion? What is this referring to? Well, this is referring to back when Israel was uh, wandering the desert for 40 years, and the Lord instructed them to gather manna every morning, but only to gather manna for that day. And if Israel would gather more manna than just manna for that day, what would happen? The Bible says the manna would rot. The manna would rot. What was the Lord doing? The Lord was trying to tell Israel that he is their portion, that he sustains them daily, that, he, that you can rely on him for everything you need. Today, God was saying, I have everything you need for today, and tomorrow when you wake up, I will have everything you need for the challenges that you're going to face tomorrow. I will be your portion. I will be everything that you need. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us today our daily what? Bread. Bread. Church, I need God every single day just to be a good husband, just to be a good father, to be a good human being. I need God every single day to give me the wisdom and how to have conversations with people and and the uh, the ability to forgive people that I need to forgive. I need God every single day. He is our portion. And the good news is that God is already in tomorrow. He's waiting for you tomorrow. He sees what you need tomorrow. And oftentimes we, we get consumed with worry and anxiousness because, because of what we see happening tomorrow. But God says, I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. I want you to focus on what I'm providing for you today because I'm already in tomorrow and I've already provided everything that you need for tomorrow. Just focus on today because he has everything you need for tomorrow. If your marriage is struggling... He has everything you need for your marriage. If you're depressed, God is already in tomorrow and He is the joy of your life. He's the lifter of your head. He knows what you need. If you're weak or you're hurting, God is your strength and your comfort. He has everything that you need today and tomorrow. A new day with Christ brings you exactly what you need. That's the first one. The second one is a new day with Christ brings you the hope to keep going. He brings you the hope to keep going. A thrill of hope in the midst of the weary world is the belief that there is a new morning coming after the darkness of the night. How many in this room like to golf? Do we have any golfers in the room? All right, there's a couple, yeah. I am a terrible golfer, but I love to golf. I love, my dad is a good golfer. I go out with him, he tries to teach me, and I just don't spend enough time on the course. I love to golf, and hole after hole after hole, I get triple bogey, quadruple bogey, to the point where I'm just picking up the ball because I don't want to continue with this embarrassment. But what keeps me going to finish out the 18 holes is the hope that the next hole is going to be better than the last hole, right? And so I step up to the T every time, and I go, His mercies are new every hole. Come on, Jesus. Give me me your strength. Give me your grace. And hoping for that eagle. I'm hoping for that birdie, you know? The Lord is good. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. Did you know you can live roughly 40 days without food? And you can live about eight days without water. You can live... The average person can live about four minutes without oxygen, but I would argue this morning that you can only live a few seconds without hope. Hope is what keeps us moving forward, something to look forward to, the hope that things are going to get better. Without hope, it's a hard struggle to keep going, to keep waking up every single morning and face that same challenge. To face that struggle that's in front of you. To face that sick one, the, the, the sickness that's in front of you. Maybe you have a loved one who's sick. To face those financial battles. You wake up every day and you look at your bank account and it just doesn't add up. It takes hope to get out of bed, to keep going in the midst of those things. And it's a hope that only Jesus can bring. There are people today trying to survive in a hope-deprived world. I believe there's people even in this community who don't know where to place their hope. They place their hope in their job security, right? But what happens when you get let go or you get laid off or COVID-19 happens and you're no longer an essential worker, right? If you place your hope in your job security, that hope is gonna fail. That hope is going to end. If you place your hope in your spouse or in someone that you look up to in your life, they're human, and they will disappoint you. They will fail you, and when that person fails you, when they hurt your feelings, or when they say something, where are you going to put your hope? If you put your hope in your, in your talents, or your abilities, or your physical capabilities, when, as, you, as you age, and those things go away, or... You break a leg or you ruin your voice or you hurt your, whatever it is. When you place your hope in those physical things, that hope disappears. But Jesus Christ is the only thing that will never fade, that will never fail you. And he will always give you the hope to keep going. But when we start to lose our way is when we take our eyes off of Jesus. And we put our hope in something else. Oh. You know, it's really hard to keep on hoping on this person that I can't see, and I haven't heard anything. If you haven't been hearing anything, I want to ask you, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been spending time with the Lord? Oftentimes we go, oh, I just haven't been hearing anything, but you know what? I think I can make it. I think I can do it myself. I think that if I, if I apply for this job or if I, if I meet this person, if I do this, if I do that, I, I think I can do it. I can, I can pull it off myself. I don't need need God to keep going. No, those things will all fail you. Jesus is the only person that you can place your hope in, and he will never fail you. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly. We're supposed to hold tightly to hope. I think... I think a lot of people, they start to let go. The minute that trial happens, the minute that persecution happens, the minute that it gets uncomfortable, they start to let go. Because it's easier to grab onto something that's tangible, right? It's easier to grab onto someone or, or something that's tangible, but we're supposed to hold unswervingly, we're supposed to hold on tightly to the hope that Jesus brings us. I think a lot of people are letting go of hope. And they're clinging to fear. They're clinging to their fears. And how many of you know that fear is faith in the wrong thing? Fear is faith in the wrong thing. When you let go of hope, you're letting go of that faith in God. You're clinging to a faith in the wrong thing. Hold tightly to hope. If you can't see past the darkness of the night, know that there is a new day coming. I think of... Judas, uh, the, the disciple that betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and he was so distraught after what he did. What did he do? He went out and he took his own life. He had let go of hope because his sin was the only thing that he could see. It was the only it was darkness. It was the only thing that he could see. He was so distraught that he gave up. And I wonder, I wonder, this is not, this is just me. This is my opinion, right? This isn't, I haven't been reading any commentaries about this, but, but I wonder if Judas, if he would have just held on until day three. I wonder if we would be talking about him a lot differently because Peter betrayed Jesus as well, right? But Peter waited till day three. And he saw the risen son. And he had that conversation with Jesus where he was reconciled back to Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I wonder if we would be talking about Judas differently. If he had waited until day three. If he would have just held on in the midst of his sin. But when we, when we despair in the midst of our sin, we, are, we, we, we convince ourselves that our sin is too much for the blood of Jesus. It's too much for God to forgive. When we hold on to that sin, how arrogant of us is it to say that? That my sin is greater than the blood of Jesus, that I can't be forgiven. I can't, I, God can't look past this thing that I've done. That's not true. The blood of Jesus is enough to cover anything, to cover all sin. I wonder if Judas would have hold, held on to day three if we would be talking about him very differently. Don't give in to the darkness. Don't give in to the weariness around you. Don't give up. Don't give up the hope. Hold on to it because the sun is going to rise, just like it did for those shepherds that night, as they're laying in the field, full of anxiety, full of fear, full of weary. And Jesus shows the heavenly hosts show up, and Jesus is suddenly in the world. He's suddenly with us. That is the difference that one day with Christ can bring you. Hold on to hope because the sun will rise. And Jesus wants to fill you with his goodness, with his presence. The third thing is a new day with Christ brings you the help that you're seeking. It gives you the help you're seeking. Verse 26 of Lamentations 3 says, It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Some of you here, maybe some of you watching online, you need salvation. Just, you need the salvation of your soul. Maybe you don't know Jesus You need salvation. Maybe some of you need salvation from a circumstance, from a situation. Like I said before, maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe the finances aren't adding up at home. Maybe a loved one is sick. Maybe I don't know what it is. Maybe you're estranged from a child, whatever that is. You need salvation from a situation. Let me tell you, do not give up praying for that thing. Do not give up expecting God to move in that area because it's amazing the difference one day What Jesus can make. One moment what Jesus can make. You can ask Lazarus. Ask Lazarus. He was dead for four days. And Jesus comes one day and brings him back to life. Ask the bleeding woman. She has an issue of blood for 12 years. And Jesus shows up and in one moment she's touched by him and she's healed. Ask the 38-year-old cripple who is Lying by the pool for, for years, trying, just waiting for that water to be stirred up so he can approach it and be healed. And Jesus shows up one day, and in a moment, changes his life, asks him to pick up his mat and to walk. And all these people, they had one thing in common. It was an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. I'm gonna ask Mary to come up and play as we, as we start to wrap up. But I, I want to invite you to... Uh, I want to invite you into an encounter with Jesus. I believe that all of our encounters with God have looked very different over the years. I'm sure I can talk to some of you and you would say, you know, you experienced Jesus when you Read the Word of God. You open up the Word of God, and it just—it's like the words come off the page. And some of us experience God in a way that's more like uh, music and worship, and we feel the presence of God in the room. And and some of you experience God when you're outside walking in nature, or or when you're up on a hill and you can see uh, all of God's creation. You experience God that way. I want to encourage you to be intentional in this Christmas season, to be intentional about seeking those encounters with Jesus. He wants to meet you where you're at, but we have to set aside a time and a place to meet with hope, or else we get lost in despair. If we don't set aside a time and a place to meet with hope, to be in the presence of God, then we can get lost in despair and in darkness. Some of you, maybe you need an encounter with Jesus today. You need an encounter with hope. You've been walking in darkness. You've been walking in what seems like a heavy weight on your shoulders. Remember what Jesus said. Come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, I want to invite you. I want you to, invite, I want you to close your eyes with me. I want to invite you just to give God those things. I'm gonna give you two invitations this morning. The first one is for those who feel like they have a weight, that they just need to surrender to Jesus once again. Oftentimes these things are not a one and done thing, right? You don't just say something and you never feel that weight ever again, but it's it's a continual thing. It's something that we have to remind ourselves to keep going back to Jesus. Keep giving it back to Jesus. And so if you're in this room and you've been living with a weight on your shoulders, you've been living in darkness, you've been living in fear and anxiety, it's consumed your thoughts, it's consumed your sleep, you haven't been getting good rest because of it, it's consumed your conversations with people that you love, it's all you talk about together. If there's a weight that you've been feeling and you need to give it to Jesus, I I would ask you, just would you just raise your hand in this room, I wanna pray for you. I see hands going up. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. Father God, I pray for everyone who responded this morning, everybody who's watching online, who's responding in the same way, saying, I want to give us weight back to Jesus. God, would you exchange this heavy weight for your light weight? God, you have a joy and a hope that you want to trade us And the good news about Jesus is there's no cost, that it's free, that you say, just come to me. Father, would you give light burdens, would you give light loads to these people in this room? Father, we surrender our anxiety, our fear, we surrender our our thoughts, God. God, we ask for you to change our minds, to renew our minds, to help us think differently, Jesus, so that we can move forward and, and hope, move forward in joy. God, remind us of the gift it is to be in a world where you're in. God, that we're not in this life alone. You did not create us and step away, never, never to set foot in our lives ever again. But God, you orchestrated our lives. You are in our lives. You are in every season, in every situation, in every circumstance. God, you are here and you're waiting for us to turn to you and involve you in our everyday activities. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. The second invitation, I want to—if uh, there's anybody here in this room or watching online, this is what I love to do. I want to give an invitation for us to uh, commit our lives to Jesus. If you uh, have never done that before, I imagine this is a church that uh, you know. You, you maybe most of you have submitted your lives to Jesus, but if you're watching online or if you're here in this room and you haven't given your life to Jesus, and you need to say, God, I have—I've walked away from you. I haven't always been there. I haven't always been following you, and I want to give my life back to you. If that's you, would you raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Amen. I see your hand in the back. Let me pray over you. For those watching online, God, I I thank you for the people in this place, God, that, that say yes to you. Would you fill them with your presence? Would you fill them with your love? If you're watching with me online, just repeat after me. Jesus, I love you, and I'm sorry. I repent for the sins that I have committed in my life, and I turn from them, and I fix my eyes on you, Jesus. Would you renew my heart and fill me with your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to leave you with this last, uh, last verse, Romans chapter 13. You can look up at me again. Romans 13, verses 11 through 12, says, The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber. The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber. No more living in darkness. No more living in fear. Time to wake from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. And the day is almost here. There is a hope that comes with following Jesus. And I am so glad that I have a Savior who is not distant, who's not far away, but he's here. So we're going to end with this song, O Holy Night. And I want us to all stand together and let's reflect on these lyrics and what Jesus has done for us.